Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. International Women's Day is March 8th. To talk about the state of women in the workplace in 2023, I've invited Laura Castleman to the show. Laura is a former Radio City Rockette who beat the boys club to become CEO of JVZoo.com. International Women's Day, the day that men with girlfriends wake up, see the words International Women's Day trending on Facebook and suddenly wonder, shit, do I have to do something right now? This year's theme for International Women's Day is Embrace Equity. So gather up your friends and allies on March 8th. And yeah, my masculine traits make me the kind of gal that can hang with the guys, as long as I'm not their boss. There's a lot of discussion about it and a lot of healthy and necessary discussion about it because the disparity sometimes is disgraceful. Hi, I'm Laura Castleman and I'm fighting to help women achieve their own definition of success and for pay equality. Sorry, not sorry. Laura, thank you so much and welcome to Sorry Not Sorry. I think I'd just like to start by asking you to tell our listeners about you and some of the work that you do. Fabulous. I grew up in a one stoplight Southern town and I had big dreams. And so my whole life has been about accomplishing those dreams. The first one was to move to New York City, become a Radio City Rocket, made that happen. Then I transitioned into corporate America. Currently, I'm the CEO of a technology company, JVZoo. I'm the co-founder of a media agency, Vita Street. And my book, Trust Your Increment, is out March 7th. Wait, so you had these dreams of being a rockette, which, by the way, I had those dreams, too. I wanted to be a rockette, but I'm only five foot two. And then, okay, I think I'm most interested in how did being a rockette impact how people interacted with you in the corporate world? I can't imagine that was an easy sort of bridge to cross over. Well, I think it's a little bit of one. It's an icebreaker. Mostly with females, though, is it an icebreaker? Because a lot of women are like, I love the Rockettes and I wanted to be a Rocket when I was younger. 
I can totally picture every woman you telling that to being like, oh, I wanted to be a rocket. Yes. And then there's a group of people as well. There's a crossover from those who wanted to be a rocket and merges into the center of the circle where I'd say it's just good people. It's a conversation piece. And then it moves forward to business. And then there's the other side of that circle where I really it's just about my look and about my flexibility, maybe since I was a rocket and those people never cared to do business with me in the first place anyway. So doesn't really matter. So did other women in your workplaces encounter biases that were maybe similar or different than you witnessed? I feel like all women have some sort of, that there's some sort of bias working against us. Like we always have so much more to prove and to overcome, and we always have to work a little bit harder. So I'm just wondering what you saw and if they were experiencing biases maybe similar to yours or different. Oh, I think similar. And I believe that's really a main reason why I wrote the book the way it is. Originally, that wasn't what I was going to write. I wanted to write just a business book. But from the people that I was reaching out to to get feedback from, I kept hearing consistently either their story, and we would get off topic of the book and talk about what we had both encountered, or it would be close women to me that had said, Laura, one of the things you have to talk about is how are you always so positive? This has not always been a positive experience. It's been really ugly at times. I remember when we were at brunch discussing what had happened or when you called me so upset one night. So it became basically there's a chapter called Surviving the Shitstorm. And that's what it became, writing a book about how I got here while keeping my soul intact and being happy and still loving what I do for a living. How'd you do it? Where do I just have to buy the book? (laughs) No, I will share absolutely everything. My goal truly is to help people. So there's no, this is going to be my secret always. I don't believe in that. I think there's enough pieces of the pie. But in general, one is that I've always been a confident girl. I had a strong foundation. I had a support system from day one. Not everyone's that fortunate. But if you don't come with one, you build one. And I believe that is a priority. It doesn't take a big circle, but it does take a few friends. You need people that care about you and that you care about. It really is true. It's your community, your village, your people. Yes, your people. That's what you need. And just someone that you can call when you've had a bad day, but that not only listens to you, but doesn't let you sit in it. Someone that reminds you, hey, like, this is one day. This is one moment. Get back out there. So I think, one, I've always had the support system. I've always had confidence. And I think the time is going to pass. I'm a big believer in it. And either I can sit and look at other people's success and go, wow, I wish that was me or how come I never did that? Or I can work towards it and fail as many times as it takes until I do reach the moments of success that I'm aiming for. It really is a choice, too. And I think it's an import- It's even more important now with social media because I think there are young girls and women, young women, who are looking at social media And feeling an element of jealousy. I've been so focused on just like not eating past seven and drinking water. Like on Instagram, like I follow people like Kendall Jenner and Kylie Jenner. And they all have this like time measure, like body image that everyone is expecting from this generation. So like I have a lot of self-confidence. Like I don't hate my body, but I always feel that there's room for improvement all the time. I mean, my daughter's only eight, but there's a thing about, and it's dumb. Like she watches these YouTube videos of kids unpacking toys just unpacking. And she wonders, like, why don't I have all that stuff to unpack? And how that seed of, like, envy and jealousy can 
so easily sprout when we're dealing with social media and grownups too, like the body image, the how come I don't have the money for the Louis Vuitton. So I think what you said was so important, which is either you can feel the envy and the jealousy, which is not a productive emotion to feel, or you can feel the like, this is going to inspire me to do more and to create more. And I think that's really important. But how did you figure that out? Or do you think you just innately had that in you? Or did anyone give you advice? I am innately a positive person. I don't want to sit in the muck and the yuck of it all. That doesn't mean I don't acknowledge it. And it doesn't mean that I don't know it's a reality. I do. And there are days, of course, that I am like anyone else where I am in it. No matter what, it's the day. But I don't want to live that way. And I have always been a positive person. But on top of that, I've gone through phases, phases that now I look back and I cringe over. I write about one of them in the book where I discuss a time where I was viewing friends of mine, other Rockettes that had gone on and their careers advanced far past mine in different areas. And I was jealous. It was not a pretty time in my head. Like when I look back, I'm like, oh. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm here supporting you. I'm always reaching out. I'm always sending you positive vibes. And whenever anything good happens to me, I never hear from you. And really, it was so silly in hindsight. It's funny because I talk to those friends about it now and I'm like, ooh, there was a time that I was so jealous of you and I'm so embarrassed now because now what I do is I see like my friends doing great things and it motivates me. And I think the biggest lesson for me in it is that winning seasons cannot last forever. So when we finish a winning season, there's a moment of either losing where we're trying again towards a new goal or it's just is, it just is stagnant for a minute, or it feels that way. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's good for life to say, slow down for a moment, recognize where other people are winning. And anytime I look at my friends with the intention of cheering them on, or even a complete stranger, I find that not only am I more motivated, but that I also find new creative ways to go about reaching my own goals. I love it. Unfortunately, we have this global, I'm going to say global, corporate structure, which both commodifies or sexualizes women and also simultaneously rejects them. What is the state of women in the workplace today? We're at a really interesting time. Most of my life, we lived in this moment of women wanting to break through the glass ceiling. But since the pandemic, what we have seen as women are returning to the workforce it's this new movement of women no longer wanting to break through the glass ceiling, but wanting to walk out of the building altogether. And that to me is alarming. I understand it, but it's alarming. We were 200 plus years out from pay equality pre-pandemic. The pandemic added 30 plus years onto that. And now women are saying, I'm tired of this fight. And that is scary because our daughters are already going to still be fighting this battle. Now we're talking about our granddaughters and their granddaughters. And that to me has to be where we say no more. It's the fact that we have to fight it. It's like, it's so beneath all of us. 
is what it is. And that's why I say it's dumb because it is truly beneath all of us. But if we don't fight it, it will never end. We will never reach equity. It really is a dumb fight. And I think it's a perfect way to put it. And I want to be really clear, the gender wage gap is a real thing. The gender pay gap, pay gap, pay gap is not real. Skeptics of the gender pay gap exist, even though there's extensive research proving it's real. Only 61% of men believe that men make more than women for performing the same jobs. But the reality is, U.S. women working full-time earn just 80 cents for every dollar men earned in 2016. And the gap is even worse when broken down by race. It is measurable. And yet some people, usually men, insist that it is just the effect of us women choosing to stay home and raise kids. Which, by the way, I also feel like we should be paid for on some kind of maybe a tax incentive, universal base income. What do you say to all of that? Well, a few years ago, I was commenting in a Forbes article about International Women's Day, and I was so excited and I shared the article. And of course, there were men commenting that this was a made up thing. There was no such thing as this anymore, that generally it was that women were less educated or that it was someone who had chosen a different life path. Pay equity isn't about saying, hey, I'm going to do this entry-level job and I expect to make CEO salary. That's not what pay equity is. But it is saying for the same position and the same output of work, the pay should be equal regardless of gender or race. So when someone pretends that's not true and they look at a small portion of the picture, it's just an education thing to me. One is we have to educate people to look at it in a different light. But also, there is a reality to it. Women in general handle so much more of household responsibilities, which is why women took a larger hit during the pandemic. Children were suddenly homeschooled. Who was handling it? Mostly women. Not all women. Mostly women were. Elderly parents needed care. Who was handling it? Mostly women. And these women could not juggle working at home while homeschooling their children and taking care of elderly parents. It was a whole new job at home, which has as much, if not more value to it. Our future, if we don't think that's more valuable than this moment right now, I don't know what to say. I look at my daughter and I love what I do for a living. I love my accomplishments. I'm proud of myself. She will be the biggest job that I will ever have and hopefully my biggest accomplishment. Right. And people will say like, well, it's not a job. It's not a job. It's motherhood. But I do want to say, and I want to educate our listeners, that there are other nations around the world who pay parents to stay home and raise the kids. And then I want to ask you, Laura, do you think that it is just that we don't value motherhood in this country? Do you think it's that we don't value women and there is a patriarchy and a hierarchy to it all? What's going on? I personally feel it boils down to not valuing women as much as men. I agree. I think it's considered that raising children is a female's job. It is not solely a female's job. In fact, we talked about it takes a village and it takes a village (laughs) to raise children. I could not do it without my support system in place. In fact, on the way to school each morning, my two-year-old and I review the people that love her. We start off with, she says her own name first. I think it's so important to like yourself. And then we go through her whole support system because I want her. And we've done this since before she could talk because I want her to know that whether or not I'm standing in front of her, she has a group of people that love her and will rally for her and will be there for her. 
And also that her behavior is responsible, too. That's a big part of it, too, is I look at my kids and they're my son's a preteen and my daughter's eight, my son's 11. And I look at them and I'm like, what if they're really pissed at me and Dave, right? Me and their dad. Who else are they not going to want to disappoint with their behavior? Who else are they going to want to make good choices for? And I think that's really important that they have people that would be hurt by bad choices besides their parents. And I think now we keep kids so isolated. But honestly, we make so much less money for the same work. And I think the perfect example to me is the women's U.S. soccer team and the men's U.S. soccer team, right? And the women have more wins, attract more viewers, attract more people in the stands than the men. And they're still making huge percentages less money than the men's soccer team. And that to me is a perfect example because you can actually see that it is gender-based. They're doing the exact same job, having better results and still making far less money. And so what that means is then we have less access to the power structure, which could change that dynamic. And my question to you is in all of your thinking about this is how do you break through that? How do you break through that we have less access to the power structures which could change that? One, I think women have to support one another. The soccer team is a great example, right? They band together. They work as a team towards even equal pay, not just on the field. But if we look at women as a whole, unfortunately, we don't realize how far systemic sexism is ingrained into our system. And women don't even know when they question how did she get that job? How did she get there? Women don't even realize it. Just recently, I was in conversations with a major cast channel. They were considering interviewing me, but said, my job in tech is not interesting, that I should have started a baking company. Now that would have been interesting. And initially I was like, cringe, anger. The hard fact is that women run only 4% of companies in the Fortune 500 at a new study shows Almost twice as many women as men say they've been turned down for a job because of their sex. So is there a way to capture what's happening on tape? Looking at two people in a job interview, the only difference, their gender? And then I realized like the person saying that was a woman and she didn't even realize what she had done. So then instantly I was like, oh, here we are. Okay, now I'm not in a position there to educate that person. To say you don't even realize what you did, I just say thank you for your time and I move on. But if we don't stand together as females, if we don't realize that a win for one of us is truly a win for all of us, then we are never going to get equal pay. We are never going to get to that next level of power. We are never going to be equal across the board. A win for one of us truly is a win for all of us. And also, they don't want us to communicate and band together and be happy for each other. They meaning the patriarchy, because it keeps the system just the way it is. They want us to feel like we're all competing for that corner office. They want us to not have the conversation around the water cooler, because that can actually enlighten someone to some kind of misconduct that's going on. They want to keep us separated. And the sooner we realize, and I think that's what was so powerful for me in the Me Too phenomenon was that I realized, I was like, oh my God, like we've all been through this and they don't want us 
to band together because then we're going to say we all went through this and it chips away at the power structure. So we're working on trying to fix this on a systemic level, but there are changes you suggest that women can take on an individual level to help improve their situation. I guess first we should just talk about how can women recognize workplace discrimination. If salaries are not published, how do women know that they're being paid less? So you can do research and find out what the average pay is for a position or similar position. And I think when I encourage women to ask, because women generally don't speak up and ask, especially in corporate America, I don't know why, but the first thing you have to do is ask. But you have to ask prepared. You have to come educated with all the knowledge of how much people generally make in this position, this output of work. If you're not in that range, there's already an issue. But you don't want to come angry. You just want to come prepared. Leave the emotions out. Bring the facts. And not only do you want to bring the facts of what people are generally making, but you want to bring forward what your contributions are. Because sometimes it's just about reminding people, hey, And it can be so simple. You know, we always think about how did I improve the bottom line? That's what we think about when we're like going to ask for a raise. But sometimes that's not all that matters. Bottom line absolutely matters. And as a CEO, I can tell you when someone can give me point blank, I implemented this streamlined procedure that reduced cost by 20%. Yes, I love you. I do. That's a great thing. But also, if you can tell me I improved company morale by implementing a game night that takes place once a month that I host myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. And everyone is happier. That matters to me as well. Culture matters. So if we can improve morale in general, that comes into play. Taking initiative comes into play. So you need to come prepared. You need to be able to ask for it with your knowledge. But then if someone says no, instead of getting angry again, emotions are out, you need to ask for a plan. Great. Can we work together on a plan? That would be my next promotion. Let's detail it out right now. What are the items I need to check off the list? Because if that person that's sitting in front of you in control of your pay isn't willing to give you a plan, you're going to need to start looking for another job. Because if they're not willing to give you a plan, they're never looking to give you a raise. I feel like one of the subtle effects of this lousy system is that women tend to undervalue because we've been conditioned We undervalue our own work, right? We ask for lower salaries, for example, just so we can be competitive. So how do we break those habits? So as a CEO, when I'm interviewing people, and I'll give you a perfect example, I interviewed and hired a lady that had her PhD in computer science as a developer for my tech company. When I asked her, because I ask all my employees, when it's time to negotiate salaries, I posted the job range. I don't tell you what you're worth. You tell me. So I say, name your salary. Every single person I interview, I say, name your salary. And I give it to them. I review with them. They just set the bar. That's the expectation. Let's go. After that, when a woman names her salary, in particular, this one lady with her PhD, the way she named her salary to me was, well, my husband makes, I'm just going to give you an amount, 90,000. Mind you, he had his bachelor's degree, PhD, both of them computer science. She says he makes 90,000. So I just want to make a little bit more than him. 93, 93,000. I'm also looking at their experience. She's got about eight more years experience on him as well. And at the company sizes she's worked for massive, big projects she's been on. 
the reality is that men have been conditioned to negotiate because they were earners and because their value has been equated to the amount of money that they bring in, whereas we have not over the course of history. So I say, that's what you want to make? She says, yes. Okay, great. With one caveat. In 90 days, we review. We review where you are and we review if you think your pay is fair. So I will accept when someone names their low price, but in 90 days, we'll also review it. And then aside from that time when I'm working, because I still report to a board, so I am going to bump their pay up, especially if they're doing exactly what I expect of them when I hire them. Then I'm going to talk about in the future, here's where you start figuring out what you should ask for. And we go through those things because I do want to educate these women on what to ask for next time. I love that so much. What else? Are there other things women can do to break through workplace bias? One, I think, is that we have to leave emotion out. And it's hard. It is so hard when it feels so personal, right? But it's another one of those, oh, we gotcha. So always, and I do this, even when I find myself in a bad mood, I call check it at the door. So if I walk in to my office, and I sit down and I find myself in a bad mood, I will actually physically get up and walk out the door. I call it check it at the door, but check your emotions at the door. Before you walk into your workplace, if you work from home, before you sit in front of your computer or however you are working, check it. Leave your emotions there. Do the work. Do not be afraid to speak up. If someone interrupts you, do not be afraid to say, as I was saying, and continue on. If you have an idea, you put it out there. This happens all the time in corporate America. Everyone ignores your great idea. 10 minutes later, a male in the room regurgitates that idea, and it's the best thing everyone heard. Don't feel afraid to say, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have to be ugly, but we do have to speak up. We have to stop sitting back and saying, that happened again. We can't do that. Why do you think, other than the obvious reasons, and there are many obvious reasons as well, but why are there so few of us as CEOs of the largest companies? Women are more educated than men by far. What's happening? I think the fight gets tiresome. I think that a lot of women get tired along the way. I think that I have a chapter called, No, I'm Not Your Equal. And I mean that in order to get to the same position, I work three times as hard. I worked circles around men that performed so much lower than I did to make more money than I did. It's hard. It's tiresome. It's soul bruising. And so I think one is that a lot of women got tired and they just said, I can't keep doing this to myself anymore, which is why I think it's so important to be able to know this is just white noise. This doesn't matter. That's one of the ways I've kept positive. I feel like in my head, I'm always like, oh, there goes the parrot again, repeating what they've been told. Parrot, parrot. Back in the day, Ally McBeal, when she would visualize like a cartoon character, that's how I started doing it. And so for me, it's just always, okay, that doesn't matter. Speak up, go on your way. I don't let it crush my soul anymore. I don't stand for less anymore. And we've talked some about what women can do. I want to hear from you about what companies can do to eliminate bias. One thing, I think we should have pay transparency. We should be listing. This is the pay range. So I don't think it should be large ranges. If it's a large range, then that means that position needs to be separated. If there's an upper tier of 40000 more, then that's a different position with a different title, and it needs a different criteria listed out. We also need to say what qualifies as bonuses, because that's another little trick people will do. You can make the same base salary within two or $3,000, but then this person gets this incredible bonus. Hey, what was the criteria for that? Had I known what to check off my list, I would have been checking it off the whole time. 
And I think they moved the goalposts on that one just to save the company money, right? Agreed. And that's why I think that pay transparency is a huge thing. It's about to get a whole lot easier for job seekers who have long wondered if they're being paid fairly. This is an important bill. Private sector companies with four or more employees and at least one working in New York City must now include a good faith salary range on all job advertisements. Understanding the pay range for a job is incredibly valuable for negotiation. It enables employees, whether they're asking for a raise or applying for a new job, to have a better sense of what they might hope for and what they should push for. Already, we still have people in interviews that are asking, you know, what did you make at your last job? Let's stop with silly questions like that. Am I female? Did I start behind already? Yes, I did. Why are you asking me what I made at my last job? You see a lot of actors coming out now and saying, this is what I'm making. Please play my co-star, who is a woman, the same amount. And I think when we talk about or when we think about the obstacles to these changes and ways to get past it, I think we've got to look at, you know, the state of California is doing it. We've just passed a law that says you have to actually disclose the salary because you can't look at someone and decide, okay, this is what I'm going to pay this person. This is what the job makes. How do we get past all these obstacles? Like, how do we encourage people to do or businesses to do what we see many actors doing right now? One, I think, is demand. The more people that speak up and speak out and demand that we have these things, especially now, it's prime time. People are coming back into the workforce from the pandemic. We don't have to accept less, but we have to realize that we don't. I know so many people need jobs, and I never, ever fault anyone for taking a job when you need one. I will personally take any job below a CEO title when I need one. But we have to speak out. We have to be transparent. And good people have to speak up, just like those male colleagues in Hollywood are speaking out and saying, hey, I'm making this, pay my co-star this. We have to speak out when we see someone interrupted by saying, I think what she's trying to say is this. No, she knows what she's trying to say, and she's saying it clearly. Don't interrupt. But good men and women have to speak out. We have to stop these things from happening. Another thing that I think that people really truly don't realize is that women do need maternity leave if they are having a child. I see some countries with far more paternity leave than we give in this country for maternity leave. It's wild to me. And now I'm saying this as a woman who took two days and a weekend off to give birth and only put my phone down in the hospital from working because I had complications, because I was scared. I was scared to not work. And in hindsight, I'm like, why did I do that? People can't afford to not work. 60% of people are living paycheck to paycheck right now in this country. 60%. They can't afford to take off more time to have a baby. It's wild, the things that we don't respect and the things that we don't look at. But that's why I think speaking up and speaking out truly matters. And again, it's hard not to have your emotions attached to it. But I think we have to go into every conversation and every battle is, do I want to be right or do I want this final outcome? Because a lot of times we go into arguments where I just want to be right. And you know you are. 
but that doesn't necessarily get us the outcome that we want. So yes, and we have to remember that we can take these small steps as long as we keep pushing a little bit more every day, these small, consistent steps every single day forward. And yes, it's a grind, but so is life. So are we going to stay where we are or are we going to keep moving forward? Because I'm going to move forward. I also think in the spirit of moving forward, we don't have women in positions of power that we can emulate their behavior. We don't have these mentors who are in positions of power who are saying or doing you know what, let's not get emotional about this. Let's put our head down and do the work and just the facts and check our emotions at the door. So I feel like a lot of times when women are given these opportunities, the only people we have to emulate are male leaders who are very ego-driven, who are not as thoughtful. And so I think that we often emulate those who are in positions of power because we have no one else to sort of shape our leadership with. I love working with women directors on a set because we in my industry have been nurturing women in positions of power more so than in other businesses. And there is something that I take from female directors that I then can take into my activism or sitting in a meeting with, you know, Schumer or my entrepreneurial positions because I can see how their leadership is so different. There are areas where women face even greater headwinds than in corporate America, and that is in the tech startup space. There, as of last year, women drew 2% of venture capital funding. That was down from 3% in prior years. And I figured when I was meeting these amazing women, I knew if they could defy those odds, that they were by definition exceptional, and I should get to understand their stories and their strategies. And I can emulate that. But not every business is as nurturing. And, you know, part of it, I'm not saying our business is so great because part of our business is that way because we're telling stories for women because women are the consumers who are buying advertising space. So the reason why my industry is like that is because of corporate America and being smart enough to go like, oh, we need to attract women. So we're going to tell more female-centric stories and we need women to tell those stories. So it's not like we're so altruistic, but how do we do it? Well, you said it's hard to find women to emulate, and it is. And it's really hard, especially for females climbing the corporate ladder, the higher they get up to find mentors, which is mind-blowing to me. And I can tell you from personal experience, like how many people I've reached out to equal with me on the ladder that won't even respond to me. And it's this defensive thing. It's insane the defense mechanism that we have ingrained into us. Now, for me, I had students from college reach out, women that are saying, hey, we're launching this in our business class and we wanted to know if we could ask you questions. Absolutely. And I'll let them know, listen, I might not be able to respond immediately. It may take me 48 hours, but I will respond within the week. If it's emergent, put something at the top, the very first sentence, so I know it's emergent. But other than that, I still have to prioritize my work. I have to prioritize my child but I have now committed to helping you. So I will stand by my word and I will be responsive. I don't understand why some women don't want to do that, but that's the only way we're all going to rise. And one woman rising and hiding in a corner, I'm not sure what that really does. It doesn't help. 
And I know it's exhausting. I mentor a, a bunch of youth activists and sometimes you actually have to make a conscious decision of like, oh, I'm so tired, but I have to return that text. And it is really important. I want to ask you, International Women's Day is on March 8th. What message do you want women to take home on this day? I want you to know that, first of all, you define your definition of success. You don't have to live up to anyone else's standard but your own. You want to be a CEO? Great. You want to be a stay-at-home mom who rocks it and is in the best mood all the time? Super. More power to you. I cannot do that. Whatever it is that you want to do, this is your life. It is no one else's to live. So start there. And whatever that is for you, work your plan daily. And finally, what gives you hope? I have hope from so many things, but in particular, I have hope from seeing other women like you, my daughter, people that they're going to keep fighting for what they believe in. I love that. I love seeing my friends win. I love seeing people stand up for what they believe in. I know that every time I accomplish some big dream that I realize I'm still here, there's more to do, there's more work to be done. And that makes me realize that we all can do so many great things during this time that we're given. There is not just one goal. And in high school, we feel like there's one goal. What are you going to be when you grow up? So I think every time that I check one thing off my list that I realize I'm still here. The list isn't daunting to me. The list is exciting. It's my list. I made it. It's my goals. I'm going to do these great things in life and nothing about me is special. I'm just like everyone else. I'm just working towards it which I want everyone to do, just work towards it. Laura, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. I'm a middle child and I was born leaning in. For as long as I can remember, I've had this insatiable desire to compete, to accomplish, and to prove myself. My energy isn't easily contained. And I've been called by both men and women, intense, high-octane, aggressive. These words don't feel like compliments to me. I try to control my eagerness. I try to be softer. It's exhausting. I am not going to stop saying it. The Equal Rights Amendment is the path to finally putting an end to workplace discrimination against women by giving us true constitutional standing. We need it, and we need it now. And men, if you are a true ally to women in the United States, you'll spend International Women's Day calling your members of Congress and demand that they do their jobs as directed by the states and adopt the Equal Rights Amendment as part of the Constitution. If you don't know who to call or what to say, allow me to help you. For the House or the Senate, you call 202-224-3121. You tell the operator you'd like to reach your senators or representatives. They will connect you. And then you just simply say something like, Hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a constituent of yours, and I'm calling to insist that my congressional representatives immediately support the adoption of the Equal Rights Amendment. That's it. It's that easy. And if you want to get more involved, please visit www.eracoalition.org for info on how to help. We need you all in this fight. It should not be so hard to achieve 
constitutional equality for women. ERA Now. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson, audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski, and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry, not sorry.